When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpost. Hello, and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The only rugby podcast that gives you the news, news and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. We are Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Store, and other mediocre podcatchers uh we're back after a bit of a hiatus some some time to reflect some time to basically sort our shit out uh and we're back now that there's some rugby happening as well we thought a good time to uh to get back together so uh i'm delighted to tell you that i've managed to get the full band here this evening so i am joined by the lensman welcome doug hello uh, the housewife's favourite, the most beautiful man in rugby podcasting, Phil Elkins. How you doing? Yeah, I am very well, thank you, Russell. Good, good. And the nicest man in Cornish rugby podcasting, as stated not just by me, but as of most of, of Twitter and all of our followers, is Ben Eustace. How you doing, Ben? Good, thanks, mate. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's been a while. I can't even remember when the last time we did a podcast was. It was well before Christmas, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, probably. Someone's got a call on the landline. <laughs> who who the... rings? Who rings a landline in 2021? <laughs> the the person who's just rung my mobile and not got an answer. <laughs> Motherfuckers! How dare they? So, Phil, you're trying to do a fantasy rugby Six Nations draft, and your landline's ringing, and and you're having an absolute nightmare in the cow shed. So uh, we'll leave you to it for a bit. Um, we are going to spend this week doing a little bit of premiership chat. Hopefully you've missed that. And it was great to see that back at the weekend. And uh, we'll do a little bit of chat about the championship. Doug's got some stuff he wants to say about that. And then we will look ahead to this week's Six Nations. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, never see Joe Marler in an England shirt ever again. Amen, brother. So, uh, let's start with the Premiership. Um, as, as I say, it was absolutely amazing uh, to get a bit of rugby back this weekend after a, a two-week break. And, and even before that, the European games. I mean, I can't, can you even remember that far back to what happened in those European games be- before this little uh, COVID Premiership kind of hiatus? It was fucking rubbish, wasn't it? It was all rubbish. Yeah. Um, I don't care about the European Cup. There you go. Well, welcome to my camp, Doug. That's how that's how I felt for the last fifteen years. Ben, any thoughts? Um, I don't know if we've spoken since we uh, some of us had a discussion on Twitter, and one of the conclusions we came to is they one of the best things they could do for player welfare would be to reduce the European Cup to eight teams. Yeah, because or, or just scrap it entirely for the uh, season at least. It's usually worth watching once you get to the quarterfinals. Um, but the group stages, at least three games 
in every group are a waste of time. So why not just make it a straight knockout with eight the eight best teams and um, keep everyone interested rather than having Montpellier against Bordeaux with neither team able to qualify? What's, what's the point? No one cares. No one cares. And even people care even less with this ridiculous new format, which is a bit like the old Anglo-Welsh Cup that nobody gives a fuck about. Um, so anyway, we had that hiatus. Everybody kind of missed rugby a little bit. I mean, the, it was it was a bit of a strange time. We all went into lockdown and, uh, and it was a bit odd. But this weekend, rugby came back and it started on Friday night at, uh, at Ashton Gate. Well, and it... Welford Road, but at Ashton Gate specifically, where Bristol were gracious enough to allow BT Sport in to film their captain's run, uh, an unopposed game against Bath. I mean, Ben, I know, I know you said you didn't watch it, but you know, as a neutral, I wanted someone to throw a towel in after 20 minutes. It was absolutely horrible, and I know, you know, Stuart Hooper said that. Bath lost both Elliot Stuke and Josh McNally in the first 12 minutes or whatever it was. So they had to bring Falatau and, and Mike, um, oh, what's his surname? Can't remember. Williams. Mike Williams on uh, in the row and, and, and make some rejigs about after 12 minutes. But the way they tackled, the way that they played, you know, it makes me really, really worry for Bath moving forward. Well, what, what's frustrating about it is that... Um, when rugby came back from the first great break, um, sort of nine months ago, however long ago it was, the, the most impressive thing about Bath was their defence. And it it seems to have just gone completely to pot. I think the, the warning signs were there when they got absolutely pumped by Exeter um, in a late game. Um, and then that game against Wasps, um, entertaining as it was, there was no defence on show by either team in that. And, you know, when your next game is Bristol, you're asking for trouble then, aren't you? And, uh, you know, I, I was going to try and catch up with it later on. And uh, I I had a, a text from George and a text from Lloyd um, early on in the game. And I, they must have been absolutely um, gagging to tell me all about it. But I... I, I fortunately it, got got the impression that it was a bit of an assing, so mate, I actually it, watched the highlight. It, it was a lit, it was a literal zero contest right from the right from the very first minute. Priestland kicked off, kicked it to Radrada in the twenty-two, who sidestepped uh, an onrushing defender, gave the ball to Henry Purdy, who galloped about forty meters up the line, and from from that moment on. Bath were just not in it at all. Every time they kicked off in the first half, which was quite a few times, they did exactly the same thing. The ball, they kicked the ball to Radrada, who gave it to Purdy, who then galloped down the line. Morahan, Piatau, Hughes, who has got the most ridiculous haircut. Um, this this side of um, Gloucester, they did. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to put into words how bad that Bath performance was. Wasn't there a it stat was... that something like six of the Bath players didn't actually carry the ball? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. 
I was either four or six players didn't touch the ball in the whole game. They they um they missed a stupid amount of tackles as well. I can't remember the exact number, but it was it was over thirty tackles missed. Now, it's some of those people can be relatively forgiven. There was no way Matavesi was getting anywhere near Randrandra at full pace off a off a flat footed stance. He he should have made a better effort than he did, but um, they just looked so. Let's be honest about it. Bath do not have a massive lack of quality within their squad. They've got some decent players there and some players that shouldn't have had had their backsides handed to them the way they did. There is something wrong within that Bath setup. Um and you you can make excuses. Yes, they had a week off training because of a a misplaced or a, or a misreported COVID set of results, but if you're if you're a squad of players playing for Bath and you cannot get up for a game against Bristol and show any kind of heart or willing or or desire to win something's inherently wrong with that club yeah I mean I think you've only just got to look at Harlequins to see you know what a, a departure of a coach could do yes we've we've seen new coaches forever um once once people leave but we've questioned we questioned Stuart Hooper previously Bath then came back and it all looked fine and and then they brought Neil Hatley in and it was all you know it all seemed to be going very well for Bath um Harmer Webb looked like a a child um against Morahan and Piatow at times and you know Bath were literally literally all at sea and I, I, as I say, I, I struggle to put into words actually how bad it was. Um, on the flip side of that, Bristol were very good. They put, they, they made them pay. They put them to the sword, and you know you can't really say any more than than that. That you know they got the bonus point. They got a decent points, um, points four tally, and you know they move on to they move on to the next game. Um, but yeah, the least said about Buff, the better, I think. And you know we'll have to see in the coming weeks how they manage to to bounce back from that. I and think that's the that, that's well. the main thing. That that that's the main thing. Look, I think um yeah, they got pumped, but they haven't played for what a month because they had a couple of games. So they haven't played since before Christmas, have they? No, they since Christmas they lost to Leicester and they lost having been ahead at half time and they lost to Wasps. Well, they, they didn't play on Boxing Day, did they? Because that was cancelled. No, their last game was that Friday night game against Wasps where it was like 60 odd 30 odd or whatever it was 50 or 30 odd I just, I just um, think they're 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 probably just ran into a buzzsaw having not played for a while and maybe on the back of a little bit of bad form lost a couple of players key players early McNally and I mean yeah admittedly they bring Falatow on but I, like, I think they should be given a little bit of slack just for now until they get a run of games and see where they are. So, so I would, I wouldn't disagree with that if it was based purely on the scoreline. But having watched them play, there was a lack of heart and a lack of desire there. It wasn't like it was a rabbit in the headlights kind of thing. It wasn't like they'd, they'd come up against this amazing side and just got overawed. Like, like I don't know, New Zealand Portugal in the World Cup, and you get you get an assing and and. Portugal just looked like they don't really know what to do. It wasn't like that at all. It was it just looked like they 
didn't really care about it. I think um, I think the fact is, Phil, that, that they went behind early. They, it, you almost had the feeling they were going to be on the wrong end of an arse in, so they just bent over and took it rather than trying to. I think you know, they grease themselves up for it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were they were definitely very welcoming. I mean, they've shifted that's, so that's many so. points in the last few few games. Well, since the season started, really, um, that I just think they. Some, something's wrong. Some, something because their defense was was looking really good until um, the end of last year, and it's so. And you know, this year it's not nearly as good. And I think at the start of the season, everyone fully expected them to beat Newcastle, and ever since then, nothing's gone to plan whatsoever. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I think you know the the talk of of no relegation. You know, that's that's still ringing in its its ugly head, and it is it is there in the background. Perhaps perhaps that lack of consequence should it happen might you know might play a factor as as we move through the season. I, I don't think anybody will be thinking about that now, but you know it, it's got to be got to be looming large. Um, Mercer let, gone. Mercer, yeah, today Mercer signed for Montpellier, yeah, isn't uh, he? Good for him as well because he ain't getting in the England side. As long as um, Billy Villapola's got an arsehole, so yeah, why not and go and <laughs> I mean, earn a few? Quid. He must be looking at it, going, "Well, Simmons can't get in the side. Uh, what chance have I got? Yeah. So I'm going to go and make some coin." But he's young enough to come back if he wants to. You know, in yeah, three four years time, he's still. I, I mean, he must I be in his I, early twenties still. So. I just wish more. English players that Eddie Jones dicks around had the guts to do it. It's the, it's the perfect move for him. That or going Southern Hemisphere somewhere. But go and spend a couple of years somewhere else, get better at what he's doing and make himself a better player as a result and make some cash. I'd like to see Marcus Smith do it, but that, that's a conversation for a bit later in the podcast. I'd, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see every England player do it and just call the RFU's bluff. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I'd love it if <laughs> just the EPS squad just France. all got together and had a few beers and went, right, we're all going abroad. Yeah, we're but we know go. we know what happens when their bluff gets called. It's it's exactly the situation we're in now, where they'd always said you've got to be playing in the Premiership, and now you have to be playing in the Premiership unless you play for Saracens. Mm. Yeah. Playing Mark in Wilson England. must be spitting feathers. He could have had a year off last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, genuinely. He, well, he pretty much did, didn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, he did in the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, talking of sale, what a segue. Well played. Um, did he they even went to play Wolf- for sale? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a, literally a handful of games, if that. It, it wasn't very many at all. Um, but speaking of sale, you watched them on Friday night at Welford Road. Uh, what did you make of the game? Any interesting talking points? Anything worth noting? Well, I think Leicester were hard done by, and I thought I thought Sale were pretty pretty average. Um, I think Leicester are on the on the brink of getting back to where they were. They they've got some pretty incredible players there now. They're they're fullback. I'd like to point out that I was first on this bandwagon. By the way, Freddie Freddie is going to be if he's not in the next England squad something needs to be looked at because he's 
very, very good. He's massive, brilliant under the high ball, can run, pass, you know, everything you want from a fullback, really. Um, I think they're um, probably a hooker away. Because I think Tom Youngs is, says he, it was his 200th game, I think. But it's, he's, he's calling it a day at the end of the season, isn't he, I think? Is he actually? Oh, okay. I think he um, might be. I, I'm sure I read that somewhere, but I could be wrong. For, for all of what we say about Wigglesworth, you know, what if you listen to any other pods or if you read it a little bit about what's happening at Leicester, everyone's saying that Richard Wigglesworth is a brilliant signing, but he looks really ponderous on Friday. I thought he was service was slow. It, it wasn't particularly, um, wasn't, wasn't particularly creative. Um, when Van Poorfleet came on, he just looked better. And I think it's time to shift, you know, shift on, um, well, they're never going to do it, but if I was them, I'd keep, I'd keep, um, I, I'd, I'd keep Wigglesworth and, and ship on Youngs, but they're never going to do it. Your um, your favourite man, Dougie, he said afterwards that uh, Wigglesworth showed Sale how to play on a cold, wet night at Welford Road. Who's that? Um, and, and who's having an argument with their microphone? Is that you, Russ? Don't know. No, might, I think I think might, Phil's tapping on his keyboard. No, no, might have been me by accident. Um, okay. Uh, who I'm, I'm who who are we talking about? My favourite, Mr. Sanderson. Oh well, um, unsurprisingly, he's talking shit. <laughs> I thought I thought he was very very well, average. And and but, look, but it's that it's that about it's that Saracen's way to, way of playing, and I think that was the point. Is that it's that kind of he's tried to be controlling and slow the ball down and control possession, which is okay to a point, but it does end up looking slow and ponderous. Yeah, and and to a larger point, something I was going to bring up later, but the style of rugby now, everyone, what seems like ten years late to the party, everyone seems to have adopted the game plan of Saracens five ten years ago. Where it's just box kick, compete, knock on, scrum, three phases: box kick, knock on, scrum. And I've got to be honest, both games I watched this weekend were pretty bad. Um, I thought the Leicester the Leicester Sale game was obviously it was pretty filthy, but it it wasn't by any stretch terrible, you know, game altering condition. But this this sort of um, attitude that's just sort of crept into the league where these Saracens coaches have sort of spread their tentacles out amongst all the other squads and they've sort of got this attitude whereby we don't want the ball and that that is counter to everything that rugby should be rugby shouldn't be about not wanting the ball it should be about wanting the ball and and having your way not waiting for other people to make mistakes I don't know anyone that's this new interpretation of the laws, isn't it? Exactly. But I don't know anyone that wants to watch a game where where it's two teams waiting for each other to fuck up. It's I, like I watching exactly, snooker and only it's like watching snooker and only wanting to watch people miss. I thought exactly the same watching the Quinns game. You know, it, at some stages you were you were almost hoping for some slower ball because the only the only way you were going to get a slower ball was because the referee wasn't blowing up for penalties, and at least you might have got a bit of continuity. Mm. I think that's yeah. the problem with the game at the moment, is that... It's because... over-officiated for a fact. Yeah. That, that but... is um, 
unquestioned. There's so many grounds of penalty at the breakdown that there's no continuity to a match. And that has come from people blazing a trail for player safety and wanting the breakdown to be officiated in a stricter way to prevent injuries at breakdowns. But that's so, the thing, though, isn't it? The so break- thanks, uh, thanks all you concussion warriors for that one as well. The breakdown, um, literally, you could have a penalty. You, the referee could legit- legitimately call a penalty, or maybe not legitimately, but could call a penalty at every single ruck for one offence or the other. It seems to be, it gets to a certain point and the ref just goes, I may as well just, just have a penalty now. Just have a penalty. Yeah. There are there are two teams that aren't doing this. We're scared of having the ball in case we make a mistake. Kind of approach in the league, um, and one is the Chiefs, who are quite happy to have the ball and have it for long periods, even if they only go ten yards up up the pitch. And the other one is Bristol, who, despite the rules, they they seem to just want to play proper rugby. And I would say um, Newcastle it, fit into that box as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I to be fair, I haven't watched that much of Newcastle this season. Um, so I'll, I'll take that on your, on your opinion. Um, but yeah, I, going back to the Bristol Bath game, we spent a lot of time slagging off Bath. Bristol were really good. They controlled the ball really well. Lloyd had an excellent game at 10 in terms of picking the right, the right choices, the right decisions and opening those spaces up. The, the pack was a really solid base and foundation and they played with the ball. And you're right, there's too many teams at the moment that are just scared of having the ball. because I, I don't think it's about being scared of having the ball. I think they see it as a way of not making mistakes themselves. So well, ex- exactly. if, you, if you look at the, you look at a lot of these teams, they're, they're sort of, you, you know, there's a lot of forwards that are involved in the, in the DOR roles. It's mainly forwards. And forwards are going to inherently want to play things safe. They, you know, they've spent a lifetime watching backs knock on. So they're, they're not going to want to, play an open expansive game pat lamb's obviously the exception to that rule um but an even exeter i'd say that newcastle more closely resemble exeter in that they want to bludgeon people then spin it when they get the opportunity where where are the exciting um tacticians coming for like the bat like Sam Vesti is obviously the only one that I can think of that puts and and he does have a Northampton have a very sort of attacking style once it once they get the ball and obviously you can see why teams don't do it because when it goes wrong for Saints it goes badly wrong they don't get the ball and they can't keep hold of it but when they get the ball and they're moving it they're unstoppable yeah, I, I but just, that's but that's rug that's rugby, isn't it? You know, you get if you move the ball well, you go from phase to phase to phase. You control possession. You you take one up, two up runners when you have to. You create the space. You draw. You draw the uh, the defense in. And there's a prime example of that in the in the Northampton Gloucester game on um, on Saturday, where uh, Ardendorf. Who I thought was excellent, Doug. I mean, we've he we've looks a decent him. player. He hasn't he had hasn't had the opportunities, but he, he yeah. He his he, I saw a photo of him today, and his head looks like a phallus, um, <laughs> just the way it's shaped, <laughs> just missing just missing a urethra. Um, so, but he he crashed it up a couple of times. I'd return to Urawa crashing it up. You had Dave Ribbons crashing it up, and then they drew the Gloucester defense in. They drew him in. They drew him in, and then Hutchinson 
spotted the the overlap, and then he just went bang, 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 little round the back and, and a miss pass, and um, your man was in in the corner. The the big fella can't even remember his name. I think I would remember that, but no, um, Ivoro was in, in in the corner, and that you know that's how rugby should be played. That's the that's the tactical game. You keep the, you keep the ball, you wear the defense down, and then you take your opportunity. Yeah, I think you're you're probably doing Bristol a disservice by saying they only attack. You know, they they've got a very good pack as well. Well, they've they've conceded the least points in the league. Yeah, and and you know they they set a base before completely cutting loose. I mean, um, you've got Hughes and Bowie and Atwood who are all sort of fairly old school forwards, and and Lua Lua Tua. Tua, who's who's one of the best players in the league quietly. Um, so George told me, um, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, they're not, um, they're not playing, um, friendly rugby, you know, pre-season rugby. They're they're playing proper league rugby. It's just that they, they have a back line that when they do sort of sniff the chance, then they, they're there to take advantage of it. Um, I mean, it's, it's this kind of. I, I, you can see, as well as the, the player safety issue, there's also this this idea that a lot of tries come over from turnover balls. So I think they're trying to make the game more entertaining by encouraging turnovers. But what, what's been overlooked in that is players aren't just going to let you take the ball off them. You know, when a player's turned over, he's not just going to let go of the ball. He's just going to keep hold of it. So, so you're getting the penalty. So you're getting the advantage for making the turnover but you're not getting the open play from it because who in their right mind lets the ball go if they, they know the opposition could go and score? Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I just, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just, rug, rug, rugby's going to have a big problem keeping people interested if the way to play becomes this constant kick tennis, not wanting the ball, defend, 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 you know, five metre pick and go tries. Because that's all it seems to be at the moment. It's not that much fun unless you've got two very bad teams. Like, well, not not bad teams, but two teams that can't defend, like Wasps and Bath the other week. Or um, a team like Bristol are willing to take a few risks. I'm just glad Saracens aren't up because they, the, the league would be over by now. They'd be they'd be out of sight, gone. Because there's nobody. I, I I even they they would deal with this Bristol side no problem. But they just they just wouldn't let them. Yeah, you know, they would suffocate them, wouldn't they? They would yeah. just suffocate them into into submission, and they would be clever they got about cheating, it. and they've been fucked off. So you know, <laughs> every cloud, every cloud, every cloud. All I right, just want to. I just want to talk about um, Alec, uh, Pat, Pat, Alex, but whoever you know, TV boy. Um, Start just Sanderson. Tessa. Yeah, nobody <laughs> enjoys being on television more than that man, and <laughs> I think he will very quickly become a sort of Mourinho figure Rackin. because I think he he will want it to be about him. Is he the Steve Walsh of the coaching community? I believe so. I, his pre-match interview about how he's 
you know, or I've never, I've never been a DOR before, but you know what? I know Saturdays and I've been in, I've played, I've been in this situation a thousand times and it's like, you know, Pat, how long have you been working on that? Like, when did you start writing that little speech? Cause that, that wasn't natural. It's Alex, isn't it? Is it Alex? Uh, Alex, whatever. Alex, I don't, yeah. yeah. Him. I don't give a fuck, do you? Could be <laughs> Tessa Sanderson for all you care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm not convinced that team will put up with that kind of DOR for long. Because there's a lot of no-nonsense people in that team. Do you think Sanderson will start bringing his Saracens lattes and coffee mornings to, to yeah. the South Africa? Well, I, I just think that I, I think that there may be a penchant for bullshit that may not carry over very far with some of those big South African lads. I don't think they're really going to want to go and do some of the things the Saracens players did. You know, the well, you, well, you get what I mean. It'll be interesting to see, won't it, if it, if Sanderson does try and create that Saracens-like culture at Sale, you know, knowing that su- the success that it brought Saracens um, through creative accountancy, um, and you know, as we've always said, if if Sale could compete financially, then then maybe they'd be a force. Maybe this is their maybe this is their opportunity. They've gotten in with with some. Uh, well, let's let's hope, hey, because all I because if I want nothing else, I want to see more Pat Sand- Alex Anderson on my telly. <laughs> you just want <laughs> Nikki Sanderson. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, let let's move on. Let's get away before Doug's head explodes. Um, <laughs> Saturday, Saturday saw uh, Exeter go to Worcester. Sorry, uh, Exeter- just, sorry. The one, the one thing I wanted to say about Sanderson was that he's actually done nothing if you look look at look at what he's achieved he's been at saracens but mark mccall's been the head man and he's been surrounded by 25 international players this is, had... this is getting quite kevin keegan isn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is oh, alex... well, we'll see won't we we'll see is, i love it is alex sanderson might is um the bradley walsh character from mike bassett england manager are we yeah. about to find out i don't know what that is do you not remember Mike Bassett, football no. manager? Where I can't stand that Ricky Tomlinson side. Uh, right. Well, basically, everything he said, um, Bradley Walsh just repeated it. Oh, Phil uh, Neal. Right, like um, yeah, Phil Neal. Phil Neal, yeah. yeah, basically. yeah. That, that's, who, that's who it was based on, wasn't it? I think. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so now Sanderson's going to have to come up with his own uh, own little gambits. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, as I was saying, Exeter went to Worcester on... Saturday and scraped away with a with a narrow victory. Uh, Worcester look sneakily good. They look like they're really building something. Um, it's six ways, and it and it was really good to see. Exeter went um, fourteen nil up in the first sort of fifteen minutes, and you thought a bit of a you know uh oh for Worcester, and they came back into it. They battled back and and were very close in the end to to getting something out of this game a little bit more substantial than the, than the losing bonus point. Cause you know, they ran the ball hard. Nick David looks an excellent player. I know they've signed Chris Ashton now, which baffles me completely. Um, but you know, he's there, but the likes of Sam, um, Ted Hill and Sam Lewis, um, Sam Lewis is one of the best players in the league. I'll, I'll die on that hill. 
Yeah, very, very, very good. He played well on on Saturday. There, you know, the um, I know he came off. He came off the bench. Sam Lewis. He did do well when he came off the bench. They've got Kavesic there and Kitchener, bit of bit of old heads. Who hard with the best legs in rugby is also uh, still there. Although he's not, he's not as influential as he once was for Worcester. I don't think. And he's um, also off ski at the end of the year. Yeah. But he's getting on a bit now, isn't he? I think he's he's kind of he's kind of had his day a little bit. But um, yeah, what's the the sneaky building something there? And and they'll be they'll be one to watch, you know, for the future. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna set the world alight ever. But you know, I think the days of the the yo yo Worcester side are probably uh, probably so they're staying up, are they? Well, everyone is, aren't they? Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. They're not going to finish bottom. Because no, then no. Then I say I think they'll finish bottom. I don't think Worcester will finish bottom. I I like the what they're doing, and I think I think they'll pick up plenty of points. So who does finish bottom then? Oh, that's a big call, isn't it? Um, Gloucester, I mean, Bath, Gloucester. I mean Gloucester. Let Let's come on to Gloucester. I well, Gloucester, that... Gloucester have scored seventy points more, so they're scoring ten points more a game than Worcester. How many more points have they shipped? Uh, 50. Yeah, Worcester... So, Worcester... Exeter, Sale, Saints, Bath, Bristol and Irish. So, I mean, let's not let's not get into the, the who, who will finish bottom debate. What I will say is, having watched Gloucester on Saturday and having seen them just before the, the enforced break, I think they are in trouble. They, they, they lack cohesion. I think they lack direction. Um, obviously, Skivington's come in and, and is trying to change things around from, from Ackerman. I, I still find it strange. I mean, I know he's a, a professional and, and all that sort of stuff, but I, I find it strange that Ruben Ackerman is, is still there and, and playing. It just seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Your dad's just been done dirty. You wouldn't sell your dad out for 200 grand? Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. You'd sell your dad out for a bag of chips, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> and a pick, pickled egg? He'd do a lot of things for a bag of chips. Yeah, that's true. I just don't, I just don't think, you know, first they were, they were 12-11 up in the first half with, with four penalties from, um, from 12 trees. There was... They didn't. They just didn't offer anything in attack whatsoever. You know, thirty-six in the midfield. Atkinson was okay, but they just they just looked toothless. And without Resummit, without Johnny May on on international duties, I think they just they're just that, gonna struggle. That Gloucester team. I, I know you've mentioned a couple of stars that aren't, weren't available, but it's. It's very, it's very plain, isn't it? That team. Yeah, yeah, really there's, vanilla. There's no stardust in there at all, um, other than probably Thorley. It's, it's very work. Could, could Thorley have been capped by anyone else? I don't think so. I don't. Think it, so. He, he got the Italy treatment from Jones, didn't he? He played against Italy, and no one's seen him since. Yeah, shock. Mm. Is he not in the wider squad this time? Uh. No, I don't even think the, he's the in four hundred and twenty man wider squad. The, That's this one, the one that you you and I are in, Doug. 
Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Shadow Squad. No. I, I keep him out. I mean, he did make a good break for Willie Haynes' try, Thorley, in fairness. But like you say, Ben, they are very vanilla. Very vanilla. The likes of Garvey and Hines and Lloyd Evans, you know, it's all just a little bit. Ugh. And I fear for Gloucester for that for that very reason. They're all good players, but none of them set the world on fire, did they? You know, even like Atkinson, he's a really good linking player, and he he plays. He's probably going to give you a seven out of ten every week. But I, I but think he, what they've got there is a group of average Premiership players, average to good. Yeah, there were Northampton were two three years ago. Yeah, where yeah. they're sort of a, a squad in transition. They. And they, they sort of bought into this South Africa, let's get a load of Yarpies in and, and beat people up and then we can build from there. But then all the, all the South Africans fucked off to France. Yeah. So they're kind of, kind of up the creek, aren't they? They're, they're, their plan was to do that. And then all the South Africans went, oh, well, you've sacked our mate, we're off. <laughs> it's a little bit like, you know, a level five or six team, isn't it? Where the coach comes in, brings in 12 of his mates. Yeah, they get, they get a few and then they bugger off somewhere else. You get a good sponsor, they all get a few quid. We had, yeah, that, yeah. We had that in Nuki, didn't we? Let's be honest. Um, but Northampton on the flip side are, are looking pretty good. You know, they, they play, they played well. Hutchinson, I think, is a superb player. I think he's really, really good. Uh, we mentioned Arden Amazing Dor- Scotland don't need him, isn't it? Unbelievable, isn't it? Um, Obviously, they are bigger available. I do, you know, when Grayson, when Grayson will will come in, undoubtedly for um, for bigger when he goes off to to Six Nations. But looking looking at that, the the squad, Northampton are now going to be the team that's that's hardly touched by the Six Nations in comparison to some other teams. You know, they're only really losing uh, bigger. From from the team that started on on Saturday, so you know Ezekwe I think has been superb for for Northampton. He played really well on Saturday. He, he has been brilliant. This is the first Saints game that I haven't seen this year, um, but he's been brilliant in all the others. We're not going to go. We we are where we are because we haven't got a front row. Our my Alex Waller and Mikey Hayward and and um, Paul Hill just aren't good enough. That's yeah, that's, no. that's the top and bottom of it. We we need. I don't know what we've got to do, but looking around the league, we could do much worse than go to South Africa and just find three absolute units. <laughs> we've tried it. We tried it with Van Vyke, but he's rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. You need a few more I, of them. The talent identification in, uh, of of our forwards is not great. Uh, but having said that, you know, you, you, your row of Rituniuawa and Ribbons with Ezekwe, Ludlam and um, Ardendorf in the back row was really, really good. Yeah. They turned, and they turned ball got... over. They were powerful. They carried hard. They were, they were decent. Yeah. And you've got a couple of decent options off the bench as well. Um, ben, Alex Moon and, um, oh, what's his face? Um the one that Eddie doesn't like anymore. Pass. The number eight. Harris, Tamana Harrison. Harrison, yeah. Um, it's not, so it's not just Eddie that doesn't like him. <laughs> he's injured. He, he's, he's, he's a proper, like, wrong side of the tracks type lad, isn't he? 
Mm. He, he, Harrison reminds you know he's a type of he's a type of guy you wouldn't let your daughter go out with. <laughs> I say I I just I do long for the days of Majati, yeah, um, Hartley and Tongawaya. If we had that, if we had something that was seventy five percent as good as that front row, would be a different proposition. Northampton right. just barmalizing teams left, right, yeah. and centre. Because I know he's a, I know he's from down your way, but um, Matavesi, I'm not having. As a hooker. Well, Sam Sam Matavesi, he's a he's a championship respect, player. He's a, he's a he's a journeyman. He's a squad player. He fills a fills a space in the squad. He's he's done very well to get himself a starting position in the Premiership. Yeah, look, I have absolutely no doubt that he would be one of the better hookers in the Championship, but at the Premiership level, he's just a bit short. Not height-wise, just... Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's so ironic, Doug. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> let, let, let's move on from that from that little jibe. Uh, Doug, you were at the Brentford Stadium. What is it called? Is it called Brentford the Brentford Community Stadium? Stadium. Catchy. Catchy. Um... It looks nice there. The seats are a bit weird. Bit, uh, a bit yeah, they're, they're red and red, white and uh, red and yellow for Brentford, aren't they? Red, white, and yellow for Brentford, and then the or is, and then greens and whites for the Irish. Yeah. Um, um, how was that game? You said you said you watched two pretty rubbish games, but uh, yeah, it wasn't a great game. London, London Irish, uh, a good team. When you look at their when you look at their pack, it's ludicrous. They've got like Creevy. Um, Simmons and uh, Rogerson. Yeah, no, well, not him, the other Australian fella. Kepu. Um, Steve Maffey. Steve Maffey. It's a ridiculous squad. Um, just just sort of let's get the oldest, grisliest, hor- most horrible blokes we can for our, for our pack. And then they've got a really good back, back line. Brilliant. And I think... Um, uh, the Irish fella, the Irish number 10 is really good. Curtis Rohn is really good. Um, and then obviously you've got Tom, Tom Parton's another one that that I'm not sure. He looks like a trainee accountant. So I'm not, I'm not too sure what he's, you know, I think that might hold him back a little bit because he doesn't look athletic, but he's rapid and makes breaks. And then you've got Ben Loader as well. So they're, they're pretty stacked at, out wide. And at the back, what what happened know. to Hassel Collins? Was he was he a late withdrawal? Yeah, yeah, it was. But he's not looked the same player this year as he did last year. I don't know whether teams are sort of concert a bit more aware of him, and so uh, you know, or the or the Irish aren't making the same kind of breaks. They seem to make a lot of their breaks. I think I've seen him score at least two or three times off of first phase ball, um, and that's why Rona's scoring a lot of tries. <laughs> Because um, he seems to be there or thereabouts, you know. He's ever either. Yeah, um, but Newcastle, I think, can can feel pretty hard done by. They got they got right back into the game and then conceded a try straight away from, just gave away a penalty on the restart and lost their bonus point. And actually, it's that kind of thing that's costing Newcastle because they haven't actually got a bonus point this year, which is a bit, you know, they're the only team not to, and they're still in fourth. So, you know, that when you look at Exeter four points in front of them that's basically the bonus points yeah they need to start picking some up but i don't think either team will be particularly worried they're they're um newcastle especially just god there's so many of these teams that if they could just find a fly half would be unbelievable 
But then I think that takes it back. Well, that's to like the, finding to the, the quarterback in the NFL, isn't it? It's yeah. like Gloucester, if every, Gloucester, if it just, easy, um, Gloucester have just signed Hastings, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, Adam Hastings. So, but yeah. Not until so Hastings has come south and Weir's going back north. Yeah. Scottish rugby's mental. It is indeed. Um, the other game that was on yesterday was Wasps versus Quins. Now, if you'd said two weeks ago or three weeks ago that uh, Quins would go to Wasps and there'll be a there'll be a, a forty nine points to seventeen scoreline, I think ninety nine out of a hundred people would have said, "Well, Wasps are going to be the ones getting nearly fifty points because Quins are rubbish." Um, as it stands. Quins were absolutely phenomenal yesterday. I mean, Wasps weren't at the races, granted. They're missing a, f- a couple of players. But I can't, I can't get over how good Quins were. That first, first 20 minutes or so, they literally just... Well, they, they beat, beat Wasps into, into submission and, and Wasps just couldn't come back from it, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... That you you couldn't really pick a bad performer in the Quinn side. I just thought they they were quicker in mind and body than Wasps, and they they never let up. You know, the commentary team was saying just for half time, oh, you know, then the the subs are going to have to step up. They're not going to be able to keep this up for the whole game. But you know, looking at it now, they they hardly made a substitution before seventy minutes. They just sort of swarmed all over um, Wasps really, and you know. Uh, Liner looked really good. Um, made a try and scored a try. Um, got a lot of pace and power. Um, Evans was excellent. And to be fair, Marla had a really good game. Um, two two Ma- guys that I, I think probably deserve a bit of credit uh, was, uh, I think he was called Archie White, played at six. Thought he had a really good game. And Esther Heise in the 12, 12 is a really good old-fashioned 12. Yeah, big but, player. But the halfbacks just ran it. Um, Care, you know, played like it was five five or six years ago. And, and Smith, I was impressed by Smith. He didn't do anything outrageous. He didn't do anything that really stood out. But everything he did, he did well. Uh, he picked the right pass. There's a couple of times when you, you thought he could run the risk of an interception and he he made the right option um, and he was really impressive. And yeah, Wasps just didn't really turn up and Sopoaga and, and Maga between them were sort of patrolling there, uh, you know, in behind and, and they were just not even getting close to high balls. And, it, and it, that sort of the jitters spread then to the, to the two wingers as well. And um, Quinns were able to just get quite cheap territory at times. So I just, Putting a kick out, kick, kick, kick in behind. I mean, they're obviously missing. They're obviously missing a, a couple of players because to play Minotzi on the wing and Sopoanga at fullback, you know, Minotzi is a very is a very good fullback, isn't he? Uh, he's not a winger. Yeah, um, I mean, Sopoanga's played every game at fullback, and and he was all over the place. Um, his his defense isn't great, and his positioning isn't great, and you know, he missed a couple of high balls by a long way. And I, I don't think Amaga's defence is great either. Um, so that gave, you know, some encouragement to Quinns. And, you know, I just, I just think they've tried to find a way to shoot on those two players into the yeah. side. 
um, and it's not working. Well, when when we came back off the last lockdown from last season, they were forced to play Sopawaga there for a while whilst Minotsi was away or injured or, you know, they, they were forced into playing minute 15 and he had a few good games and, and they won a few contests and obviously they got to the, to the final and he played well in that, in the premiership final against Exeter, didn't he? In that horrible condition um, on that, on that Saturday evening. And it's obviously stuck in Blackett's mind and they've gone, right, okay, well, let's keep him there and let's go in. I thought Umaga was absolutely terrible yesterday and Jimmy Gopper, and because Umaga was terrible, it made Jimmy Gopper look every single minute of those Mm. 47 years he's been on the planet or however old he is because, you know, playing like 12 up against Esther Hazen, he just like, it was, he had no chance. And 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 they just they they really they put them to the sword because they they couldn't keep up with them, and they they kept the the pace going, didn't they? It was it, especially in the first sort of twenty minutes to 30, 30 minutes they they tapped penalties a lot and just kept going, and it, it almost stopped um, Wasps being able to sort of get their defence lined up and and use their sort of turnover merchants. I'd, admittedly, a couple of those were missing as well, which probably helped Quinns, but. You know, it was, you know, that scoreline wasn't um, unfair on, on Wasps no. at all. It was, you know, it was a proper ass-in, really. Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was a great performance from Quinns. Uh, Doug, have you got some thoughts on the, the whole Gustard departure? Unsurprisingly, yes. Um, is anyone of you, any one of you surprised that Harlequin's put in a performance after getting rid of a coach? No. Because there's some monumental fuckers in that team, in there that have driven out the last what three t- three coaches have been well, driven they, out. They got they, rid of Kingston. They just quit playing for them. And what are the what are the what are the common threads in that in that story? Brown, Marla. Need I say more? Look, I remember when when um, Gustav got the job. I remember on this pod saying that. They looked. They came out and they looked a completely different team from the end of the season before. They defended like Saracens. They looked like they were interested. They wanted to do it. And then a few of them get the ump because they're having to work a bit harder than they used to or being asked to do things they don't want to do or playing in positions they don't want to play or doing things that, that they might think aren't for the best. And they all pack up. It spreads through the team like a cancer. And then the coach gets sacked. I mean... Whoever comes in next has got 18 months before they get the ump of him and then they'll be gone. Well, hopefully, hopefully, if that's the case, the, the players that we mentioned there will be will be gone by then anyway. I mean, I mentioned Marla. That you, Marla is is a very good prop forward. There's, there's no he should, doubt. He should never be allowed to put an England shirt on it. A hundred percent. I completely, completely agree. It shouldn't be down to Joe Marler to pick and choose when he is available for England. Oh, I can't, be, I, you know, there's no, there's no jolly up to Japan this time, and there's no fans playing, and there's no, you know. So what's the point? I just won't do it. I'm Joe Marler, and I'll make a funny Twitter meme, and that'll be me. You know, yeah, um, I think I'm a uh, great lad. I, I think, I quite like. I think Joe Marler does some some things which can be positive for the sport. I think some of some of the stuff I, I, he does I find quite funny, but his attitude towards um, 
towards the country, playing playing for the country, I think is absolutely disgraceful. And I think he made that rod for his back three years ago, and then Eddie went back on it and went, oh, no, we need you, when the reality is we didn't need him. Yes, he's a, he's a fantastic prop, but he, he doesn't He didn't look make... too fantastic when he was letting Colby run past him in the World Cup final. No. Without making much effort to get anywhere near him. No, no, he's a fantastic prop. That doesn't mean he's got it in his head head to play fantastically every game. And he's probably um, not a great winger. No, no, there's that as well. And Colby's made a lot of people look like... I'm numbers. sorry, Ben, in a, in, a, yeah. in a Rugby World Cup final, mate, you don't jog if someone looks like they're going to make a line break, even if you don't think you can get there. But the, the point is... And also, is, he's a shit bloke. The, <laughs> point, the point is, like, without... We don't know what's happened within that squad, and we're... And we're Hypothesizing to some degree, but but mate, there, don't there, take, but don't there, take there, Angela Lansbury no, no, no. to work it out, does it? Well, but there, <laughs> what I was going to say is, there's a core of players there who appear to be bigger than the club, who appear to to kind of run that joint, and and it's it's not right. And the only way that changes is if the owners allow the coach to the the director of rugby to stand up to them and go, you know what, Joe, we're all right, thanks. Take a month off. We don't need yeah. you here. And and actually, don't come back for pre-season training. Go go find somebody else to to play with. But that's not going to happen because for whatever reason, that core of players is seen as being. I mean, I'm going to throw Danny Care's name in there as well. I don't know if he's involved or not, but he's one of those guys who's been there for 12, 15 years. When I saw when I, when you flick on the score sheet and you see Try Care, Try Evans, it it could have been 15 years ago, albeit a different Evans, but. Yeah, um, you you look at it and you you look at it and you think the amount of young players, Liner, um, Lang, Smith, young impressionable players that are hanging around in that toxic environment, which is it's out there in the pub. Like people are aware that there is toxic environment at Harlequins with the playing group, and that there are definitely issues around clicks and hey, look, we, we people were being really... in and out. We were really harsh on Marlon Yard when he left Quinns and went to sale and saying that he was, he was being a bit of a knob about it. Well, maybe we were unfairly harsh. Maybe yeah, maybe it was just that possibly. Every, everybody else was just being a dick to him and not giving I, him the opportunities. Yeah, and I think Carl Sinclair probably had enough. And, look, and, he's, and you've seen Carl Sinclair, Sinclair in that group of, group of players who's been there for a long time who seems to seem to run the thing. Now he's, he's shifted on, but that doesn't mean it, that culture yeah, yeah. changes. Look, Carl, Carl Sinclair, from every, every game I've ever watched, he looks like a dickhead. And I imagine that he lost a battle of, well, it's either him or me. <laughs> and he was, you know, there were more people that were pro whatever group than there were Carl Sinclair's group, so he went. Um, they, they won a game this week, and that was probably a fuck you to Gustard. And they'll probably split the next few games and then they'll become the Harlequins that we know they are. And then when the next coach comes in, it'll be a little while and then they'll get the ump with him. And, well, they go, and so, they go to Bath, they go to Bath this weekend. So, you know, let's, let's see what, see what comes of that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't understand how, players I, at London Irish at the weekend my camera position was right next to the Irish coaches so I had um, Les Kiss literally standing next to me 
and you could hear the influence and over every single facet of play. Every time there's a break in play, he's getting radioing down to the touchline. Watch this, do this. I want him to do this. I want that there. I want... So they're, they're micromanaged. And it only takes a couple of players to not agree with that message. And that will spread through the squad. And I just think that's what's happening. Fair, fair enough. Um, this week's premiership fixtures include Bristol uh, home to sell on Friday night. <coughs> Saturday, sees Bath host Quinns, as I've already mentioned. Uh, Northampton go to Wasps. Uh, Worcester go to Leicester. And Gloucester go to London Irish. And on Sunday, uh, Exeter go to Newcastle. Uh, you got any Premiership games on your schedule this weekend, Doug? Or are you uh, oh, Irish Gloucester engaged? on Saturday, and then I'm doing the Wales game on Sunday. Very, very nice. Well, you mentioned the Wales game on Sunday, Wales Island uh, in the Six Nations. Uh, a welcome return for international rugby. Uh, we'll get to witness England on Saturday against Scotland play another. Uh, Another 80 minutes of how much can we win a game by by never having the ball. Um, what do you make of, of the Six Nations? What do you make of the squad, Ben? Uh, Eddie Jones has picked, you know, he's, he's gone with a lot of tried and tested favourites, but obviously the, the inclusion of uh, uh, Palo Adogwu and, you know, his burst onto the scene. You know, he's been around for a, for a few years now, but it's only this year where he seems to have, have really, you know, really gone to town so to speak yeah uh, i see him as a bit of a like a bastrono almost type player he's, he's getting he's really... caps oh italy can't have him Come of course on. he is yeah i think i mean to be fair looking at the squad it, he's got a half chance of uh getting on a couple of times you know a couple of appearances but there's not really a lot to talk about in that squad especially now that um I think the biggest omission was Will- Willis, but now with Underhill pulling out, um, Willis is in the squad. So, you know, it's it's a fairly predictable squad, which I think is probably to be expected. England have won a lot of games. Um, I can't see it as a huge amount for argument anywhere there, really. I, I do think... Um, we were talking about it a little bit yesterday that Simmons and um, Marcus Smith could could feel a little bit hard done by not being in the larger squad, but I don't think there's any doubt that Ford and Farrell or Ford or Farrell is going to be starting at 10 and probably with 12 as well, especially with the lack of centres in the squad. Um you know, either of those lads. I think Simmons is a good deputy for Farrell and Smith is more like Ford. But, you know, as as much as we complained about those games in the autumn, we won them all. Um, I've read in the paper this morning that Ford's going to keep using that kick that... The uh, the, the spiral... Of, so the, the, the spiral bomb, like they've just invented, invented it. Yeah. New. But I mean, it's been going on in rugby league for years. It, Absolute it, embarrassment. It was. I mean, I, I must admit, uh, if he can execute it as well as he did against Bath, it's going to be a weapon because that looked horrific. It was dropping almost away from the fullback as he came forward, and as you know, that's that's the worst one to be taking. Really, um, I just I just think it's you know 
there's, there's, there's not a huge amount to talk about with that squad. I just think with a few exceptions around the fringes, that's, that is the squad now with the injuries that we've got. I, I just think it's a shame Launch is injured because I think he's been playing really well. Um, I com- completely agree. If you say we're going to have a 20, was it a 23 man match day squad for any test in the next year, 18 months, you can probably pick 17 or 18 of those 23, depending on who's fit. Yeah. And then the rest are there and the rest are there for 15, 20 minutes at the end. It's, he set out his stall, how he wants to play the game, who he wants to play it with. And I suppose the interesting thing really is, um, is that Scotland do play the game in a, in a slightly different way. They are very much more kind of with Watson and, and Richie, they've got the kind of the turnover game in the, and looking for, Rather than worrying about getting turned over, they're they're the kings of making the turnovers, which really drives England towards that. Let's not mess about with the ball anywhere near our own half. Kind of gameplay. Yeah, I think I think anywhere, probably from Scotland's ten meter line back it's, towards England's trolley, England are going to kick the two, ball. Two phases kick it. Yeah. That that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, for me, I see um, Sinclair. Probably, I see dead people. No, I probably see a front row of um, Sinclair. Sinclair's in the squad, isn't he? he? Must be. I can't see his name. My my eyes going. Um, is Sinclair injured? Jesus Christ! I'm having a shocker. Um, I see probably Will Stewart playing. Um, Atoje and Laws probably in the in the second row. I also see now that um, now that Underhill is injured, I got a, a very big feeling that especially against his Scotland side that he'll pick Curry uh, and Mark Wilson at six and Vudapola at eight. I think you know Curry um, Wilson has been phenomenal for Newcastle this season, and I think he, England will need his aggression against Scotland in and around the breakdown because they will they will try and turn it over and then it'll be it'll be absolute standard with Ford, Farrell, Slade, May, um Watson and Daly. And it and it'll just and it'll just look like that. And and it's you know, is that boring or is it predictable or is it, you know, good that there's there's a, that amount of settled settled players in the side. Yes, yes, and yes. It's boring, it's predictable, but it's a good thing for the for the team to have that consistency. But you, you're right; it's it, the team pretty much picks itself. Um, you're going to have a few people in and around the squad, the likes of uh, Johnny Hill and Abano uh, potentially, with with a handful of caps. Will Stewart's only got eight, but he'll get game time definitely. But it's a it's a settled, consistent squad. Um, I think there's there's a really good argument actually for letting Willis do his thing against Scotland. Um, I think you'd see the best of him if you start him, but I don't think Eddie will do that. I think he'll bring him on for the last twenty minutes. I I've got my doubts he'll even be on the bench because you've still got Earl there, haven't you? Uh, and he likes Earl, and I think Russ is right. I think Wilson will start. I'd like to see Willis get a go, really. Um, I'd like to see Willis come off the wi- bench. Yeah. If it's Wilson or Earl, you play Wilson out, out of the two of them. He's he's going to be more suited to playing against Scotland, I think. Oh yeah, totally. But um, I think he'll put Earl but, on the bench. I think. Yeah. I think I think he'll put Earl and Willis on the bench. 
Um, Sinclair's suspended. Yes. Oh, he is. Yeah, for, for, for telling his... the yeah, telling his old mate to uh, go Cole away. Cole Dixon, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm pleased to see um, Randall in there. I think he deserves it. Little Harry uh, Randall. Yeah. Even you know the games he played for the under under twenties. He 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 looked like he had a good rugby brain and and you know nice. Nice service. So here's going to make it hard. I think though. that's. I think that's Eddie just being Eddie. I think yeah. he, he'll put him in the squad and he'll start Youngs and put Robson on the bench. I, th- I think exactly. uh, me and Doug, watch, me and Doug, are going to say Young's the same thing. Plodding around. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, Doug, me and you are on the same wavelength here. He's picked Harry Randall. Harry Randall plays for for Bristol in a very different sort of team, a very different system, a very different way of playing the game. I don't think Harry Randall is the type of scrum half that Eddie Jones likes to play. Otherwise, we would have seen a lot more of Dan Robson, of, you know, Danny Kerr, got bombed up, the, the maverick scrum half who likes to tap and go and sees gaps and stuff like that. You know, Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones doesn't, you know, he doesn't really like it. He bought bloody Rigglesworth back, for God's sake. He picked Willie Hines. You know, can, he I, does, can I just he, say, I wish Eddie Jones would just fuck off. I honestly do. I, you know, I just wish he'd go away. I've had enough of him. I've had the square, the square root of all I can take of Eddie Jones, and I don't care if we're winning. Watching England is not a pleasure. It's, I it's think soulless. I, I, I disagree. I'm fed up yeah. of being bullshitted. To I'm fed up of his stupid little face. I just want him to go away. Yeah, I don't. I don't look at his face, and I don't really listen to what he says anymore. And and I've got over that, and I'm I'm at peace with the fact that I don't care what Eddie says. Um, I actually quite enjoy watching them throttle other teams out of the game. Yeah, totally agree. I I think there's a real problem with Northern Hemisphere rugby at the moment. Agreed. Totally. And the only team that look like they want to do something about it at the moment is France. And Scotland, reason, Scotland, give it a go. England, but, but that's, England, Ireland, Wales. You know, England are better than Ireland and Wales. Um, at what they do, Ireland are, re- are going for a bit of a transitional phase at the moment. Wales are absolute tripe. And I, I, I remember meeting you after one of the England games at Twickenham. I can't remember which one it was. And you probably can't because you were gobless. Is Ben even there? Oh, he's talking to me. Yeah. Um, it was England-Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah, and I remember saying to you in the concourse that Ireland don't play good rugby. And you were like, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Demonstrably, Ireland play terrible rugby. England play terrible rugby. They, they play effective rugby, but it's terrible. It's not fun to watch. I find it hard work watching England. I, I honestly do. I... We have I think, I think, we have players that you can't feel any sort of connection to. Owen Farrell, he's just so completely unlikable that to to actually sit and get excited about him doing anything good feels dirty. <laughs> the so only player think... there's only really like I like a Toje, but he's he's a shit house. Um, I guess you can like Ben Curry and uh, sorry Tom Curry and 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 Underwood, 
Underhill. God, I'm doing well today. Um, <laughs> I just, we, we're, you know, I, for once, I actually agree with the other home nations. We're thoroughly unlikable. There's nothing to look at us and just think, you know, you want to be proud to be like the best team. You don't want, like... So, two years ago, I'd have said, yeah, fair enough, they play dull, boring rugby. But I think in what the dimension they've added in the last year, 18 months, is that aggressive defence that I really enjoy watching. I really right, enjoy there's no, watching. There's nothing I like watching more than a bloody rush defence. Oh, I love it. It's I, so fun. I, I, I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm with Phil. Like, if, if, if you can, when you see a defence, you know, take, take the attacking team back from the 22 to the halfway line. I, I just think that's that's a great thing to watch. And what, what you're like saying is, is... Yeah, what you're saying is is good rugby, is entertaining rugby, whereas I think uh, that no, Ireland team that, that you spoke I about, think that's a misconception. But what I'm saying is good rugby is the ability to combine attacking creativity, defensive resoluteness, and the ability to entertain... And I don't think England, the only thing England can do is defend. They, they, I, for, for all we've heard about George Ford being this amazing fly half, what does, he, what does he actually do? What does George Ford do well? Look sexy doesn't count, Lizzie. <laughs> I think what he does well is um, he... His, his short passing is very good. Um, so when... love watching it. I love watching a fly half do short passes, man. Can't get enough of that. If they put someone through a gap, it's great. Um, so what what England do well attackingly is is um, the the counter attacking runs, the the broken field play. It's not it's not fancy first phase play. I don't think that's that's the game setup. And actually. To me, fancy first phase play or even second or third phase play that scores a try is only ever as a result of a cock up in defence. Um, if you look at if you look at New Zealand and all the tries they were scoring four or five years ago, and everyone was raving about them, they scored the majority of their tries off off kick returns or off turnover ball. Um, and actually, that dimension England have got better at as well, getting the ball broken field and doing something exciting. The likes of Watson, May. It's not it's not George Ford. Um, and I can I take that point, and I totally buy that point. I'm not sold on George Ford as as a ten option. Um, I think we could have potentially better ten twelve combinations, although I'm not saying which ones. Um, but why? I, why? Because I haven't really come up with them in my head. I just I'm just not convinced that's the right ten twelve combination. Maybe it's Paul, Farrah- Ford's objectively playing better than. Farrah- and you know what. You know what? I think I think probably our best 10, 12, 13 would be, if they were all fit, would be Farrell, Tuolangi, Slade. Um, because Tuolangi does take it to a whole extra level. Um, but, yeah, the likes of, of Watson, I think May. May has got a lot better at, at not running around like a headless chicken. Um I think there are there are aspects there that are really good. I think what we don't do a good enough job of is targeting those attacking aspects. Um, because when they come out and when we do it really well in the first 10, 15 minutes, they look like a fantastic side for the whole game. I, th- I think it speaks to a, a larger problem with me, for me, that, uh, and it sort of really rang 
home for me on on Sunday, standing that close to a coaching team, was everything's programmed, and the England team isn't just programmed; it's an algorithm. You know, what I mean, there there is no room for anything outside of Eddie's plan. Now, I'm sure George Ford could be an amazingly creative player, and we've got Henry Slade in there who occasionally does stuff, but we are just the most boring sporting spectacle in world sport, as far as I can see. That, that there is nothing remotely enjoyable about watching England. It's joyless, I think. It's efficient, you know, but so were the Nazis. <laughs> That's uh, that's not actually true. What were well, you telling me well, the Nazis they, yeah, weren't efficient? Horrific waste of money, weren't they? On the yeah, world? and and yeah. life, fairly tiger, large waste of life. Tiger as well. tank is the most over-engineered thing you could could ever find. Okay, well that joke that joke backfired. Didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought a joke about Nazis would backfire? <laughs> yeah, if that's the best way it's backfired, you've you've done pretty well, Rusty. So. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Look, I don't I don't want to come across as. Um, you know, we, the reason we haven't been podding is because we've been finding it very difficult to actually find any great pleasure in rugby at the moment. And I don't. I, I'm finding it hard to break that. I'm watching the games, but I'm not coming away from many of them very satisfied. Yeah, I think which, I like is, how like I, which is how I went with football. Football then... became this overcoached, joyless thing. Yeah. Hey, look, we've we've spoke about the overcoaching thing and definitely agree with it. And there are three sides, Bristol, France, um, Scotland, that have moved a little bit away from that. They've got a lot a, a lot more freedom when they get the ball in hand. Um, it's it's not fun to watch the uh, two phases kick, two phases kick side of it. I do enjoy watching the aggressive defence and pushing teams backwards. And I do think they've got a bit of buzz about them on uh, receiving kicks and turnover ball um, and less less kind of stayed and uh, lumbering around the pitch when that happens. Um, when, you see, when you see a turnover ball and it gets into Itoji's hands, you're more confident that the ball is going to come back and get shipped somewhere than if that was Charlie Yule, say, yeah, who you I, think I, he's going to hold on to it and get tackled and set up a ruck and you're back to two phases kick. I guess I just find it frustrating where, you know, you can, and it's easy to see from the television, but you, you can see an overlap. You can see open fields. You can see space. You can see, you know, all of, all of these things going on. But you can also you can also tell when a player is acting under specific coaching instructions, and you know the best players, the best the best teams there have ever been. You look at that All Black team from you know for the last ten years plus. Um, you know the All Black team under Steve Hansen, and and you say that you know whilst they were exceptional players and they were well coached and they had a game plan, what the the ability to do was play with their eyes and the best teams and the best players make decisions based on what's in front of them not solely based on a game plan that's been pre-prescribed and so, that that is where 
rugby holds the most joy. Watching individuals and teams and collectives play with their eyes and look at what's in front of them under a, a general umbrella rather than be scared. And sometimes in England look genuinely scared to do something outside of what has been pre-prescribed. So I'm going to start sounding like Ryan Keishaw and like I'm all over Bristol, but they are impressive at the moment. If you take Nathan Hughes in an England shirt under Eddie Jones, he looks slow, cumbersome, just wants to pick the ball up and take those heavy hits. You look at Nathan Hughes under Bristol, under Pat Lamb, A, he shed a bit of timber and put on a bit more bit more um, speed. Hair. Hair. Yep, hair. Um, that's, it's just... It's just awful, that haircut. Um, but B, he's got the freedom to to pick and, to do the pick-and-goes if there's a hole there very successfully because teams aren't committing to the breakdown, so there's those gaps. The offloads, yeah, he dropped the ball a metre out, carrying it in one hand. He's also finding space in the outside channels and, and playing with a freedom that you never saw him play with in England. He looks like a different player, a completely different player. I, I think I do. Um, I'd agree with... Russ, that they probably did overdo the kicking, especially um, in the opposition half in the last uh, in the last tournament. But you got to remember, it was only three three games ago that Johnny May scored a try from his own try line. So yeah, so- but that that can happen. I'm I'm not having I'm not having that as a as a like as a that's not a, a heads up rugby thing. Almost that, that's Johnny May being a little bit maverick on his own. And with the gas and the ability and the and the the pace yeah, that, more than anything, rather than the brain to do it. But that that's, happens that's with a turnover from a turnover on the other side of the pitch, and they shifted the ball inside their own twenty-two to the to the far wing. They did. And, they did not. I'm telling you now, they did not shift that ball from one side to the other with the thought that Johnny May is going to go to the length of the field. I, I think happen. what they do they do quite a lot is they they. Not not just on their own try line, obviously, but what they do is they they shift the ball out at least two or three passes um, to to the sort of outside centre um, channel, and it's usually either Daly or um, Slade, and then it's at that point that they kick, and I, I do wonder if that is that they're they're just hedging their bets. They're just going to have a have a look. There's nothing on. Mate, that's that's not true on. because the ball doesn't get past Farrell at twelve. They do it. They do it a lot. I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch. Slade, Slade will do. Slade will do four or five kicks a game. I. I am going to count and be here for Monday. The amount of times the ball doesn't get past Farrell. I'm gonna call it now. Counts. You ain't gonna count. You're gonna forget. The minute you finish this podcast, you're gonna forget you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it plus, if it gets past 10 he's got no chance yeah. that's true that's true um anyway should we do we do some very quick predictions for the weekend england england scotland how do you see it going twickenham england anybody given scotland england any hope? two tries plus i'm gonna call scotland i'm saying i just think eight. too many of england's players haven't been playing rugby yeah. players. I mean, I think we've, I think we've, we've ultimately got too many championship players in that squad. So you know, we we may well struggle. 
Um, I'm going to say England. That one's for 12, James. Yeah, he beat me in fa- he beat me in fantasy rugby draft this week, so he can get fucked. Um, <laughs> all the best. Go well. Uh, that that's about it for this week. I mean, does anybody want to do any other business? Have you got uh, any I was going to talk about the championship, but I think oh, yeah, we all know do. what's Should going we... on there. I, I do want to say that Rugby United, the the founders of Rugby United, jacked it in today because Twitter and rugby aren't the same as what they were when they started, so they don't think it's viable anymore. So is that's that sad. Rich and Trevor, is it? They, the, yeah, yeah. They've just jacked it in. Yeah, um, the tweet this morning said that rugby isn't what it was when we started and we no longer want to do it. So, uh, telling you there's, there's a problem problem with the game. There's fundamental there's, problems. There's, there's a huge problem. And we'll get into we'll get into the championship stuff over the maybe the next week or the, the week after. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yep. see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll get it done. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you got any any other business outside of rugby, or should we just wrap it up there for an hour and twenty minutes? Just yeah, same old, same old. Let's uh-huh. wrap it up there. It's good to be back. Thanks for listening, uh, and we will catch you all next week after the first round of the Six Nations. Go well. Sports Social Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.